Hey there, this is Meg. I'm your host, and you are listening to Mental Status, a podcast about burnout for people in the mental health profession. Quick disclaimer, because you know that stuff is important these days. Uh, Mental Status is a podcast about burnout in the mental health field. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. This is not therapy, and this is not clinical supervision. There are no CEUs associated with this podcast. Enjoy it and share it as you will. And if you're in a space where you're needing deeper support, please seek out therapy or supervision for yourself from somebody who is qualified to provide those services for you. Okay, here we go. So welcome everybody to Mental Status. I am your host, Meg, and I am really excited about today's interview. I have a very special guest and I'd like them to be able to introduce themselves. So special guest, who are you, where are you, and how are you doing today? My name is Lydia Banton and I am in Indiana. I'm doing well today because I'm coming out of the burnout path that I've been on for so long. Very nice. Yeah, that's that's always good for me to hear um, when people are kind of on that other side of that mountain. Um, and so I think that's just like a good lead in into what has your burnout journey been? Like, where have you been with burnout? Well, it actually all started in grad school. I yes. was um, working full time, learning a lot because I worked in medical genetics. So I was working on the write-ups of a lot of complex cases with the kiddos. So Mm -hmm. I learned a lot like that, but I was working full-time. I did manage to part-time it and get my two-year degree in three years. But by the end of it, I was getting up and going to work at six in the morning and ending my day at 9.30 coming out of a partial hospitalization program. So eventually by my last six months, I started to realize that I was not thinking very clearly and I did go part-time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, that's a lot of hours to work, especially like doing your program in a shortened time frame. like anybody who's been through a grad program, which is probably most of us in this field. Um, that's a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. Since it's a two-year program, if you're not going to work. Right. Right. Oh my <laughs> gosh. The hours. Yeah. Yeah. So in your, in your experience working in the field, um, and over like across all of the experiences that you've had, um, what have been some of your experiences with burnout in terms of like how you knew you were burning out or how did you eventually come to learn that you had burned out? Like, what has that looked like for you? Well, Last week, I had an experience where my car was acting up and I realized I had no oil in it because I had not scheduled my regular oil changes because Mm -hmm. I was so busy. I would get in there at the last minute and then go back to work and make sure I was doing everything I needed to do for whatever employer or employers I had at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the day-to-day stuff was being neglected kind of because you were so busy with work. And it, yes, and it is easy to do because our work is very rewarding. Mm -hmm. It's very rewarding to help somebody and see their lights 
come in their eyes, especially since I do a lot of trauma work, see people having their traumas reduced Mm -hmm. is very much something that invigorates me and wants me to do more on my last job that I was at for 11 months. I remember somebody saying, oh, I can't believe you work there because I was working in corrections. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but it energizes me. So there's this energy that I would get from being at work Mm -hmm. and doing the things that I love and I have a passion for. But then the boring things like keeping my house clean and getting my oil changed were Mm -hmm. things that I didn't even pay attention to. Right. So one of the things that happened is um, when I was selling my house, I realized I had to sell it as is. Now, it had been a foreclosure when I got it, but still, I didn't do anything to keep it clean enough. And so there was a little bit more damage than I would have needed had I taken the time to make sure that I was taking care of my dogs and getting them outside and getting them trained Mm -hmm. and not having a mess inside my house. I was fortunate that right now it's a seller's market. So I was glad I probably would have wanted to sell it anyway, but just seeing that the extra things that I did because I was doing all this stimulating work and not paying attention to the basic things that we tell our clients to do. (laughs) And so it was kind of like, it was time for me to do what I tell my clients to do instead of just ignoring the basics. Yeah. And that's such a common theme that I've heard from folks that we get so involved in our work um, and we become, you know, by our very nature energized by it to the point where, yeah, I mean, other parts of our lives can kind of fall to the wayside and it's hard for us to maintain that same level of focus in the day-to-day stuff. Um, you know, I've heard people talk about how they've had friendships and relationships sort of fall apart because, you know, even if they were doing really rewarding, fulfilling work at work, it would, it would drain them to the point where like, you can't, you can't do much. Um, and it, it sounds like, I mean, that's, that's part of the challenge, right? Is like, we love the work that we do and we put so much of ourselves into it that it's hard to kind of pull back from that. Like we don't want to give lesser care to our clients, but where is that, where's that line between giving a lot of ourselves and giving just enough so that we have enough to give back to ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm wondering for you, um, because I know that when we talked in our pre pre-podcast call, you talked about working in in a variety of different settings um, and some of them being very, um, I don't know what the word for it is. Like there was a lack of autonomy, I suppose, in the work that you were doing because your your schedule had been largely controlled by the organization. Um, And we talked before this meeting today about how important it is to have autonomy within your schedule. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about that. Sure. Interesting is I just came across a book on burnout talking Mm -hmm. about how we have to know when our best times of the day are and when our lesser times of the day are. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew ahead of time, even without this book that's coming up that I'm going to read, I knew ahead of time that certain things like I was on a job and I worked over 100 hours in two weeks and I was exhausted to the point. It was funny. I was in corrections and these young detention deputies that are half my age are saying that would be hard for me too. And you don't look too well today. 
Mm-hmm. And I would think I probably need a couple of days off, but when my bosses would come to me and I totally understand where they're coming from because there's a lot of pressure on mental health. Mm-hmm. And so the people that are my supervisors are being pressured to get a lot done. And if you've got, say in my situation, there were three employees and the other two employees can't even get their documentation done. And I happen to be a lot faster typist because of my past work experience. So they liked to depend on me to make sure that the whole department, which is everybody, they're not thinking about each individual. They can't. They're thinking about everybody getting the work done for this huge client base that has a lot of needs. So there was no thought that we can give Lydia a break. And then the next week, I was so overloaded and I didn't even realize it, that I was saying things that I didn't even remember saying, which was very, a very scary place to be Yeah, because that's when people do things that they end up in jail for is maybe when they do something intoxicated, which obviously I was not intoxicated, Mm -hmm. but I was so overwhelmed that I couldn't keep up with all the thinking that was required to stay on top of things. And my work performance drastically decreased very rapidly. Yeah. It was not good for me or the agency I was working for. So because I did not take the break that I needed to have, Mm -hmm. consequences came out of it, not only for me, but for the company I was working for. But at the same time, if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be of any service to any company, any client, any task, friendships, anything that we need to get done. Yeah. And that, that type of example, um, you know, I, I think it serves as a, as a, I don't want to say good example, right. But like, it is an example of how, um, when, when a system has all of these demands of the people who are working for it and the people who are working within the system, um, for whatever reason, feel unable to take that break or aren't, you know, even able to recognize that that is what's going on and that they need that and it's not being offered to them. It can create this whole whirlwind volatile situation where, I mean, you become so overloaded, like you said, that it's, it's hard to even function sometimes, um, which is that it sounds like that dangerous spot that they warn us about in grad school these days is like the reason that we talk about taking the break, having boundaries, having autonomy, taking care of ourselves is so that we can try to prevent those types of situations. But I mean, in certain settings, and and I think you probably have more experience with this than I do. I mean, having worked in some of the settings where you have like that lack of autonomy is just kind of expected and the demands are an expected part of the job. And it's, it's hard to find your way out of that. It is. And I think a lot of it is because therapists are working for middle management and middle management are working for upper leadership that are doing their jobs right, but they don't know any of us. They may know the middle management people and they just want the middle management people to do what needs to be done to keep that company going. And when you're running a mental health center and you have thousands of clients, it's like thousands of lives are at stake here. So we've got to produce. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that that's where it comes from. It's not like the corporate people are after anybody or any of that. They're just doing their jobs. And 
a lot of them are, they might have MBAs. They have no idea how much it takes to get due to our reimbursements schedule. <laughs> we really don't get reimbursed for as much work as we do. The dollars do not show how valuable the work is because right. obviously we can't bill you know, thousands of dollars an hour. So right. people in business, they just can't see what's going on. But then those of us that are in those positions, in, in my case, I can speak for myself. I put myself in those positions. I was told by a mentor early on, keep your autonomy, keep your autonomy. I was told in school that burnout, another word is death to the therapist, which is yeah. very serious. Yeah. And but then I just got into the work and I was glad to have health insurance. Health insurance is one of the biggest challenges. And right now I'm on Medicaid mm-hmm. and happen to be lucky that we're in a pandemic that I'll probably be on Medicaid for a year before I have to figure out my health insurance. But there are ways to figure out health insurance. I have friends that are realtors mm-hmm. and do other things in their or, or hairdressers and they they figure it out. Yeah. But then a lot of them unfortunately. Unfortunately, our field seems to have, because of how stimulating it is, a lot of lack of work-life balance just in the whole system. Because mm-hmm. I've worked for probably seven or eight employers, and the patterns were all the same, whether it was a community health center, whether it was business people running an addictions program that I worked for a while, whether it was working in a county jail, which I did for a while. All of the, or one time I worked for a company that was contracted with DCS mm-hmm. for a few months. I did that. And it just the same pattern as you've got people trying to please people that don't fully understand the work and succumbing to those pressures, which I find it interesting now where I'm working at. I thought, oh no, I'm doing DCS work again. But what they do is they contract with us. We are all autonomous. We all determine what schedule we're going to do. Mm-hmm. We um, do, we had supervision, obviously, to help with the clinical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But we are given lots and lots of freedom. I'm only going to work four days a week. Yeah, which That's is awesome. good. Last Friday, I was totally exhausted because I started doing something for myself. Yeah, which which is. Um, doing, I'm in a singing group now and it's taking a lot of, a lot of energy. And while it's really good for me, the next day I wake up and I need to rest as I adjust to this. Mm-hmm. So, and it's something for my self-care, but any good stress sometimes I'll get exhausted from too. So, Absolutely. Just, and, and that's a priority for me because a lot of those people are the ones that came to me when I was in this house and I had no idea what to do. These people in my support group that are also involved with the singing group came to me and it helped me to get out of that situation and focused me, which was mm-hmm. interesting. It was almost like they were kind of teaching me coping skills. It was <laughs> right. So at the end of this period where I could not think, I was fired from my job and trying to get out of this house at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, I need to have a job before I sell this because houses are selling fast now. It's like, okay, go focus on your job. The person that was contracting with me absolutely refused to sign a contract until I knew where I was going to work. Then the minute I had that contract, it was like, we got together and he sat with me and he said, first of all, you've got to develop some better habits because <laughs> I've neglected them. I need yeah, habits like get up, vacuum your floor. 
Keep your house clean. Do the basics so that you're in a decent environment. And then, Mm -hmm. and, and focus and schedule and don't overwhelm yourself. So I, I did things one at a time to get out of that situation. And the, I started with just getting rid of stuff. I got rid of 75% of my stuff, listened mm-hmm. to decluttering experts, got rid of that, then got the job because that became a task I had to do, mm-hmm. then started working on moving, then moved. And then I was able to do other things that, that I really wanted to do that helped me. But even something as good as being in the senior, I had to wait until I had my household and I had my job done. And the difference in this, which it kind of scared me for a minute because here's somebody and they are telling me what to do. But then I realized I know what I'm doing and I'm not giving them control over my whole life. I'm just giving them control over how to get rid of this house. Mm -hmm. And it worked because I knew intuitively that this person was not going to rip me off because I was getting, I still get postcards, sell your house. And every time I get one, I get this intuitive, like this person just wants my money. Mm -hmm. This person didn't want my money. They wanted, basically, when I said, thank you for getting me out of there, he just said, I just knew you need to get out of there. He Mm -hmm. took a cut in his commission to help me get out of there. So when I saw that types of behavior, which is what I would always do with my clients. Right, right. And I And the guy's not living in a horrible place and he's living a happy life. So it just really brought me aware of the fact that taking care of myself is priority first and doing what I need to do. Yeah. And in this singing group, I actually go to a place where I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) and I trust somebody to tell me what to do in that category. Similar to when I go to a client's house and they have no idea what they're doing and I help them to break it down. So now I'm getting people to nurture me in a way that I nurture others, which really helps me a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and I really love that because it's like, at least for myself and a lot of the therapists that I've known, either as um, classmates or colleagues or just professional connections, like we're all very used to being really good or even great, or even sometimes the best at what we do. Right. And it can feel, um, it it takes a lot of trust to be able to step into a place where it's like, here's something where I have not done well, and I am going to trust somebody else to help me with this. Like, and I can only imagine, and I, I mean, I know having been a therapy client for many, many years, that that is a very difficult space to walk into for some people where it's like, I don't know, help me out, please. Like this, just, just help. (laughs) Yeah. That's a very good point. And I like that. And a lot of it is we have to look at the cognitive distortions that are going on. Mm -hmm. So me who went to music school years ago, barely passed half my classes there. Might want to listen to somebody who was playing the organ at age six, directing (laughs) choirs at age 12, plays literature that most organists are like, whoa, this guy can do this. And has been teaching kids to sing for seven to eight years. Yeah. Maybe this person could teach me who basically did not have such a great history in school there, which was hard for me because when I was in grad school for my counseling degree, I was mad if I got a B. 
Right. When I was in school for music, I was lucky to get a C in school. <laughs> they were so math oriented and that's not yeah. what I'm good at. So the logic is listen to somebody who's been extremely successful, like you said, mm-hmm. but it, but it is hard because we're used to being good, but we can't be perfect in everything and it is okay. And that's something that I talk with clients about all the time. Find what you're good at. We're not all good at everything. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, like being, I, I think what I've, I've learned from a lot of folks is like, we are very, very knowledgeable about coping skills and ways to take care of ourselves and ways to benefit our mental health. And that doesn't mean that we are necessarily experts at applying it to our own lives. Um, I'm including myself in that category. Like even as I have, um, started down this path of having this podcast and talking with professionals, I found myself getting to the point where I'm working myself a ton. And I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is the opposite. Like I'm talking about not overworking yourself on the show and here I am doing it. Like it's so easy to fall out of those good habits or to just not apply them. Um, it takes a lot of intentional effort, especially at first to really be mindful about, okay, take care of yourself, wake up, shower, clean the house, eat, eat food that feels good for you. Get some movement. If you can breathe, like all of the basics, um, it can be, it can be very easy to let those fall to the wayside. Well, that's really good to hear because as part of my skills as a therapist that I have learned, I'm not one of those people that can keep a client for 10 years and be for them every week, that solid foundation. Now I have my own therapists like that. And I very much appreciate her skills, but I don't have those skills because my mind will go so fast. I'm good at assessments. I'm good at going into somebody that has been off heroin a week and starting to get into those things that are making them want to use it again so bad that we've got to get to it now. Mm -hmm. I'm good at the crisis interventions, getting in there and finding out what's going on so that somebody doesn't have to either die in their addictions, if they're suicidal, they can get out of that. I'm just really good at finding out where the problem is for them yeah. and getting it done quickly. However, and for those of you that are in private practice, remember this, just because <laughs> you don't get to it quickly doesn't mean you are not what we need Right. for the long term. So I've yeah. learned that about myself. So that's part of why I do the music. I go to people who are consistent people over long periods of time and stay under that discipline because it's not something my mind normally does. Right. That's part of how I get to the, how I got to the burnout, but it's good to hear that people that are also very good with long-term can get into that too. Oh yeah. yeah. It's just easy for me to think, well, just because I'm this, different kind of therapist. No, we all, we all suffer and we all suffer from the same thing. And that's one of the things I did appreciate in the mental health centers is I had people that were such a great support to me and that Mm -hmm. was stimulating, but it wasn't my friendships. And so, you know, I didn't have a lot of friendships or I had one very dysfunctional friendship that I had to let go of in the midst of getting out of one of my jobs that I had, I was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was there for so long, even though I'm somebody that goes from task to task and likes to do that, is they recognize that. 
So they would send me, it was like I had a different job every year, even though I was at the same place for 12 years, I had a different job every year and that was stimulating. But at the same time, it was discouraging because I would watch people come in after me and get promoted up to higher levels because they were more the consistent people. They would get promoted into those positions because it better fit their personality than me. I was the crisis person, but the reality is they were getting promoted. They were getting better paychecks than I was, and they were getting higher rewards for what they did because that's what the company needed. Mm-hmm. And a company is not about, I took this class a couple of years ago that really opened my eyes. Yeah. And he was talking about getting out of the employee mentality. This guy was a reporter mm-hmm. and he had worked for a company that basically used his skills and kept him on contract when other people were getting health insurance and getting all kinds of benefits, but they kept him on that. And he was the one that would break the, like the best stories. His investigation was really good, mm-hmm. but he realized he was being used by people who were um, famous names. We won't say some of the names, <laughs> right wing. That's all I'll say. <laughs> they were using him and there was a lot of corruption going on. So he said, You've got to get out of that employee mentality, which is the same thing that I knew before about the autonomy, because the when any job, not just necessarily ours. And then I realized I'm in a therapy slot. I'm not there as Lydia therapist. That's good with this. I'm there in a slot for a licensed therapist. When Mm -hmm. I left, they filled the slot with another licensed therapist because that's how companies work. Mm -hmm. And and in our field, we're teaching people how important they are, they are. And yet here I was allowing myself to be just slotted and slotted and slotted. One of the things that I really loved, which was assessing and working with people in the state hospital, they discovered it didn't need my license to do it. So they pay somebody less to do it. Yeah. And there I moved on. But that's because the company has to be efficient. They have to stay in business. They're already getting poor reimbursements. Right. And they're all getting paid where they're all getting paid without a license. They're utilizing our licenses. But if we do that, when I do it on my own, my license is earning the money and the money's coming to me. Right. Not going right. to other people. Now I'm in a little contract sometimes, like I'll pay people to do the credentialing or do other things like that, or give me my client base. And they get a fair amount of that, but it's up to me to earn the money for my license. And, and I get the benefits instead of having a stack of people above me who need to be paid right? that aren't licensed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I like the point that you make that, I mean, in our work, regardless of, um, you know, what type of role we have, whether it's assessment, crisis clinician, on-call, longer term private practice, like we are ultimately trying to instill this idea in the minds of our clients and help them really come to believe that they are important, that they are valuable and that they, that they add value to this world for who they are, you know, as a person, uh, the characteristics that they have. And it can feel disheartening at times when we work in environments where um, we're, we're giving out those messages and trying to believe it for ourselves and sometimes feel like we are a slot or a number. Um, and, and of course, I mean, 
I'm not one to necessarily think that there are these evil corporations. Like I, I don't really take that mindset, but I, I would agree that it's like they have their, their business interests in mind. They have things that they, they need to do because of the system that we're working within. Like you said, the reimbursements are not great, which is a whole system-wide issue, which um, I'm very <laughs> passionate about. Um but they just, they have to focus on what they need to focus on, which means they can't necessarily, and this is kind of a generalized statement, they can't necessarily focus on each individual provider as the people that they are. And so it creates this whole sort of like cycle of a system where it's like, we, we know that we matter. We know that we bring value and that our services are incredibly important and we love what we do. And yet we still kind of feel at times like a cog in the wheel and it can be kind of disheartening. It is because like, for me, the biggest thing was health insurance. That was my biggest. I knew I wanted to get out of this when I was learning from this reporter gentleman who actually was in Washington, DC. And he had a different perspective on the whole corporation problem. He goes, if you're there and you're in Congress and you're only getting paid enough for maybe half of your mortgage at home. And these companies are offering you all this money so you can have a place at home and you can have a place in Washington, DC. And so your children can go to school and get an education. You're going to take it mm-hmm. because people are just trying to do, it's like, we're all doing what we have to do and can't speak for the corporation end of it all, but systemic problems I learned through marriage and family are like the hardest to deal with because when I, my first marriage and family class, they had this like ball that had all these things connected together. Mm-hmm. And she would show us how you pull one end and all the other ends kind of pull. So when I was a cog, I hate to say that in the organization, yeah. and I started to speak up and say, Hey, I'm important. That was very disturbing to a lot of people. And to save the company, I was fairly warned to keep my mouth shut and not, you know, I was doing something to take care of myself, but they didn't see it that way. They saw me as a threat to potential future hires. Mm. So they had to get on it right away to save the company because 50 people, when you've got 50 people in a room, you can't just destroy 49 lives for the one person who's speaking up. And that's the way that it looked to them. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that is the way that system is, which is why it's to my benefit to be out of that system. Mm-hmm. Now, some people can find a way to work. And my sister's a therapist and she loves going in and having set schedules and she has good supervisors and she goes in and when she leaves her work, she's done at the end of the day and yeah. she's happy. So it's kind of like a factory worker going in and they do it and then they leave and they're happy. And if you've got enough money, you I really doubt a lot of people go to therapy when they're at a factory job they love making a ton of money and coming home and having all time for their family and kids. Yeah. That's not how our job works because our job is so emotionally draining. Yeah. And because our systems with the reimbursement problems are not set up as well as a lot of businesses. Yeah. 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 And that, um, I, it, it's funny because like when I talk with people on this show, um, it's not something that we necessarily always discuss beforehand as a theme, but money always comes up. And I think it's important 
at least to me, to continue having that conversation and for the people who I talk to to have that conversation because it is such a central part of, um, of, of the struggle that a lot of people have. Um, of course, not everything comes down to the money that we're paid. However, when therapists who are very good at their jobs are finding themselves um, outside of the workplace, stressing over, can I afford healthcare? Can I afford to send my kids to daycare? Can I afford to take that vacation that I very badly need? It creates, again, one of those like patterns and systems where if they're not feeling taken care of, they're stressed, they're maybe not focusing as much on, on the things that will fill them up and keep them doing well in their own lives, which obviously translates pretty pretty heavily into the work that they do with clients. Like if you're, if you're feeling taken care of financially, spiritually, physically, mentally, you will be very much more present, typically speaking, for the people you're working with. But if those things are, are faltering, it's like, oh, it's a domino effect. It is. And our training does not prepare us to run our own business. No, I remember being told that in school and I thought, oh, well, I can type, I could do that. And then when I graduated and I was looking at when I had to go part-time and I didn't have insurance and I was having to pay for Cobra. Mm -hmm. And then I graduated. It's like, I'll take this part-time job that gives me health insurance paid $2 less an hour than I was making as a secretary at a very easy job, but it was stimulating. I went in there and then I got to, because it was a time in our field when there was not a shortage. Mm -hmm. So I was working a job that was a bachelor level job, but then I was doing assessments. This was when I was inpatient. I was doing assessments. So I was making extra money doing that. And I already had my health insurance. And so I was working second shift doing that and first shift doing the extra things. And I didn't even get out of that until I realized I need my licensure hours because we had to do our two years which is, my sister has a really interesting perspective on that because she said, now they do have a thing now where you can take your test early, mm-hmm. which that takes a lot of the stress off. But she said, Lydia, I could not do this and have my license be solely responsible when I've had a week with two, su- two or three suicidal clients. I'm so glad I have the supervision. Yeah. I'm so glad I have the people helping. And I'm glad it's not all dependent on my license yet. So that two years of working in the field before we get our license is a very good idea, but Mm -hmm. it can be very, it was stressful to me because I could not get a job doing what I needed to do. So I had to work at bachelor level jobs and Mm -hmm. kind of take the therapy credit for what I was only billing case management for, even though they were really getting therapy for for the money that they were billing, but Mm -hmm. they didn't see it that way. So it was, it, it can be a real challenge yep. for us yeah. to do that. Yeah. And as somebody who is on the very fingers crossed the tail end of their, you know, like postgraduate supervised hours journey. Um, I mean, I, I do know for myself that that has provided a ton of um, learning opportunities for me. And I've had some very good supervisors who have provided very needed support during some of the, especially the earliest days of my career. Like, oh my gosh, please help me. I don't know what to do here. Like I, 
as much as the red tape can be frustrating for somebody who's graduated with a master's degree and is trying to do therapeutic work, it's frustrating. And I would also agree that some aspects of it can be helpful and necessary to the growth of the therapist. Um, especially when you have those good supervision relationships, somebody who you can rely on to give you, um, to, to give you guidance and help you through that process. Um, I can also say as somebody who's at the tail end of getting my licensure hours, it's, it is very, very frustrating for the limitations that are placed on us. And of course, like when it comes to the law, it, the law tends to be, and of course, you know, there may be lawyers listening. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's a bit more black and white in terms of like, you can't have a ton of gray area when it comes to the laws that you're enforcing around these things. So we have to set things up a certain way um, so that it's, it's mostly applied across the board to everybody in the same circumstances. Um, but yeah, it can just, it can be both things, right? Like very fulfilling to have good supervision relationships and supportive teams around you. And at the same time, like feeling so limited, I, I hear a lot of early career therapists say like, oh my gosh, how can we do this with, with all of these limitations placed on us? Like it, it feels, it's hard to hold both of those things at the same time. It is a lot of stress. And while it's good not to be expected to do what someone with 20 years of experience can do, at the same time, sometimes you're doing it anyway with <laughs> clients because they, yeah. they need it right away. And a lot of people, you know, just we have a lot in us that prepares us to be in school. Mm -hmm. And I still remember being in, in grad school and saying something about a friendship that had gone crazy or something. And the, the, my instructor said, because you're a therapist. And I said, yeah, I'm studying to be it. He goes, no, you already are. You've already got, there's this gift that we have where we can just read things like the guy that the investor that had my house, it was so funny. He came walking in and I just knew right away, this was a good guy. Yeah. So I've learned to assess that over the years. And so I'm on my realtors on the phone with the realtor, with that guy going, well, Lydia seems to think he's a real great guy. And he's gone, she barely met him. And he goes, well, she's good at that because that's what she does. Yeah. And so people outside of our field can see what a gift we have to assess things and take care of things. We just take care of people automatically. I'll hear something and know somebody's going through a hard time and I'll just be able to do something to help them out. And that really helps in our friendships but it's also why boundaries are so important. Yeah. That, you know, and my friendship ones, that was another thing. So here I am doing all this work and then my friendships are turning into people that want therapy from me. And I yeah. know better than that. I learned that in school. I learned it, but if I'm not thinking clearly, I can't do that. So yeah. it is kind of like a cycle where we get into what we love. We do too much of it. Don't have the balance. And then we're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And so finding that balance, um, I mean, I've, I've had similar experiences, especially during grad school. And I know that, um, in, in looking back on my younger self being in grad school, I try not to do cringe moments, but like, there are some things that I can think of where I'm like, okay, past Megan, like, let's rein it in a little bit here. Cause you're not, you're not their therapist. You are their friend. Um, but it's, it's, I mean, it's easy. It is easy to fall into that unless you, 
I don't want to advocate for hypervigilance, but there needs to be this like big awareness around how you are when you are interacting in therapist mode and how you are when you're interacting in friend mode or uh, partner mode or, you know, community member mode, like you, a big thing that has helped me kind of work on my burnout levels is really having a deep understanding for myself of when I'm stepping over that line in my personal life, being able to name it to the person I'm talking to, like, okay, I, I feel like I have all these opinions and I don't want to, I don't want to therapize you. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to step back from this a little bit. And for me, at least for the most part, most people have been pretty um, respectful of that when I, when I name it for them, like, okay, I feel like I'm becoming a therapist. So let me just, let me back off a little bit. Yeah. We're getting in a situation with toxic people because a lot of times we do as therapists, because of our boundaries, we're protected from a lot of that toxicity. And one of my biggest toxic things is extreme criticism. So when I'm sitting at a table at lunch, listening with a bunch of new people that I'm getting to know, and I hear somebody who, a couple of the people who I thought might be, you know, maybe some friend potential, mm-hmm. and I hear them severely criticize somebody over stupid stuff who has been important in my life. That's a red flag. Those are not yeah. like people I want to jump into friendships with, jump into sharing much with them. Now, one thing that I did learn in dealing with, which is something in my personal life I've had to do, having people that are way too toxic and they want my time and they're complaining about something like, let's say, okay, so this, they're complaining about, well, this person doesn't practice. That's, that was the interesting thing. And I want to just like be real honest with them and say, so when's the latest time that you conducted a choir? When's the last time that you played an instrument that's like one of the hardest ones to play? Mm-hmm. But instead of doing that, I'll just say, well, I pre- kind of affirm, I appreciate your struggles with this, but this person has been very important to me. And um, I'm just going to stand that ground. I mean, I didn't say it like I'm going to stand that ground, but it was like they've been a very good influence in my life. So mm-hmm. I just kind of let that sit with them. Mm-hmm. And because we can't change other people. So obviously, even if they were my client, you know, I would finally, but when it's going to be a friendship, it's got to be somebody that I trust enough not to be hypercritical because if they're hypercritical of someone that's not in the room, one day it's going to come to be hypercritical on me. And that is not what I need in my life. I don't need criticism. I don't need all the negativity. I don't need all that toxicity in my personal life. So just yeah. setting that boundary and being kind to these people, but I'm not going to go and if I'm having a bad day, I'm not going to go to them and say, Oh, I'm just having a bad day. Cause mm-hmm. they're going to, they don't have the capacity to do that. Right. And, yeah. Like, and that being selective. Um, and that was kind of a, a lesson for me too, as I was going through school and, you know, in my you know first year or so of working is, understanding about how I needed to be selective about the people that I had in my life, because I was working so much with folks who had, you know, unhealed trauma or all of these sort of patterns and characteristics that, 
you know, they were coming to therapy for help. And obviously, you know, it's my job. I want to be able to support them in that growing pattern. Um, and also realizing that, um, I, I, I can't select people to be in my personal life who are going to embody those same characteristics, at least not, you know, like you were talking about that close circle. Um, and I think it can be really hard for, for new therapists to, to be able to identify that for themselves because we are such giving people, because we want to be able to help because we see that. And we have this kind of automatic, like, Oh, I know, I, I feel like I can know sort of what's going on here, but just like pulling back and saying, I'm going to be kind, you know, I'm not going to interact with them in the way that they interact with me. And like, I need to keep them at arm's length. I can't really invite them in because that's not, it's not going to benefit me in the long run to have that type of energy in my life. It's, it's just knowing what, what you can have in your life um, in terms of the behaviors of other people and, you know, what you can gently sort of keep at arm's length. Yeah. Yeah. I think self-awareness is one of my biggest things that I look for in friends. They need to be self-aware and taking care of their own stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I need to be taking care of mine. And then that's somebody that I can start to trust. But then again, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Looking for that, like the things in, in friendships that we also want to see in ourselves. So that being um, characteristics that we can either use to inspire us or to help us maintain you know, a focus on the things that we need to do for ourselves. So if somebody is very aware of, you know, how their interactions with others may affect other people, like that's for me, having friends like that helps keep me aware of, you know, like, okay, how, how am I interacting with these people? How am I um, presenting myself? Um, Are there, are there harms that I need to repair? Is there something that I need to bring up with this person or, you know, like if somebody shows up really well for me, um, that, that shows me good ways to show up for other people. Um, so it's, it's, you know, like we're all sort of interdependent. Um, I don't necessarily believe that any of us can be an Island. And when we can fill our Island with folks who we can fulfill and they can fulfill us in the friendship that we provide, um, that can create like just a nice balance between, our personal lives and all of the emotional work that we put into our professional lives. Yeah. We've got to have our needs being met because that's what I found when I was, because therapists are wonderful people. So it was almost like I was depending too much on my coworkers mm-hmm. for emotional support. And that is not a good place to be in mm-hmm. because if I'm thinking about my emotional needs cognitively, I'm not really doing too well. I'm just feeling very vulnerable and I can't be in that position when I'm taking care of clients. I've got to be able to step back, be more objective. And that's what our boundaries are for so that we can do that. And the same with my coworkers, they're there and they're taking care of clients. They don't need a coworker coming in with needs. Mm-hmm. That is not helpful. <laughs> that's way over. Yeah over what we can handle. Mm-hmm. And I even found that on where I'm at today, today, because I've got like different people, even though it's a contract job, I've got different people that take care of different things. And when I got it, and it was so interesting because I got in that situation 
And somebody that was handing over cases to me, I just went, oh, that's where I'm at, was at like two months ago. This person is overwhelmed. And they're, so there was poor communication. There was a lot of things that weren't working. And I'm like, okay, well, I really like this person. They're a good therapist. I want to, you know, not burn my bridges because they know people that I know in the community. But at the same time, I'm just going to have to let her come to her own decisions. And the last client that we were with, she's like, I really need a break Mm -hmm. before I move to my next job. And I said, I was just there. And so that was a way that I was able to stay out of it. It's not my job to be her therapist either and say anything to her. I let the HR people do their job. And then there were a few things where I kind of got like dumped a little on, which would not have worked for me with a friend, but Mm -hmm. she's not my friend. She's a coworker. So she's dumping a little, it's like, who cares? And we just have to put the client care first. So when I'm at work, the clients do come first and I need to not have those needs for what I need out of friendships out of any of those people. Mm-hmm. And that is challenging if I'm not getting those needs met elsewhere. So even though we've been talking a lot about our personal lives, that's so important. Yeah. I mean, how can we, one of the bit, first things I learned from my mentor, one of the first mentors I had was he said, we cannot take our clients where we have not gone ourselves. Mm. So we're just, you know, we're taking their hands and helping them move forward, but we have to have done that in our personal life, you know, and I've seen that happen a lot, seeing a lot of people that tend to fail in our field or people that are coming in to get their personal needs met from their clients or from their job. And that obviously doesn't work. We have to have our own stuff taken care of outside and beforehand. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really good point. Um, and I think that's kind of like a, maybe a, a well-worn sort of joke about the field is that a lot of therapists come to the field um, because they have their own stuff. And I mean, everybody has their stuff. And I think, you know, it is important to be able to walk through your own path in, uh, understanding how your stuff comes up when you're working with people, understand how your stuff comes up when you are uh, interacting with friends, family, coworkers, clients, all of that kind of stuff. Um, Also like give yourself some compassion around it as you are working on walking through that, um, which in turn can give you a lot of compassion for the people who you are providing services to, right? Like the clients who to, to most of society may say like, oh, well, they're just not trying. Like if, if you can really see their journey because you have some, some knowledge about what it takes to get there. I mean, for me, I found that just like that deepens my understanding and compassion in general for anybody that I'm working with. Like, I may not know exactly what it's like to be you, but there is, there are some threads in your story that, um, that I can identify with that I've walked down that path. And I, I know it's hard. It is. And that's, that was part of my burnout too, is I had the death of a parent. My supervisors met with me and they were very supportive. And, but the bottom line came to, well, I'm glad you're really aware of your issues and that you're taking care of your issues as they go, but what you did looks bad to our company. Mm -hmm. So I was suffering the consequence 
one, because I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it didn't matter how self-aware I was or any of that. It was like, our company has these standards. And then I had to look at it and go, okay, yes, what I did was wrong, but I don't need to be in a situation where I'm expected to super perform beyond a human being, mm-hmm. which was basically what they wanted. And it was like, because you cannot super perform beyond anything, you're out of here. And then I looked at that and went, that's a gift because why do I want to work for a company that has too high of expectations of me as a human being? Because we're mm-hmm. all human. We all mess up and we all have to move on from that. But to have it, yeah, I just, I had a reputation there. It's like, I'm the one that doing something everybody else has done and even worse. Yes, I had the worst penalties for it. But now that I look back at it, I go, what a gift. Those people are still in that system Mm. and I'm not. I'm gaining autonomy. I got, I was able to get to a point where I reached out to my support system. They reached out to me, helped me to get out of it. And now I'm in a situation where I have supervision of people that are more, they're a better fit for me. That's another thing too. Don't ever have a supervisor that has to use all the coping skills in the world to be able to put up with your personality. And there was nothing wrong with her. Yeah. Yeah. My personality and hers, it was just not a good thing. (laughs) And she's not going to look at, and there were things that I needed to change, but she wouldn't call me out on it. And that just does not work. And that does not mean that that person was a bad supervisor. It was just, if it's not a good fit, just like when you're looking for a therapist, you've got to have a good fit in yep. workplace. Absolutely. Because that was an extra stress that I could not handle. And wonderful supervisor, but I was a terrible employee for her. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a gift that I got out of there. And I know it was very hard for her because she did not make the decision. People above her made that decision. And she worked really, really hard to help me. And I'm always going to be appreciative of her, but some people we just sit and work for. And mm-hmm. it's not because there's anything wrong with just like, there's nothing wrong necessarily with a client and a therapist when it's a bad fit right. or an employee or a supervisor when it's a bad fit, but a bad fit is not going to work. And we've got to be able to be more objective about that and just get out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's an important, um, an important lesson that, I mean, I'm constantly learning for myself when it comes to wanting to be good for a client and maybe recognizing that my style, um, isn't the best fit for them. Um, and, and normalizing that for both myself and for them saying like, you wouldn't just settle down and marry the first person that you date necessarily, unless like, I mean, a lot of people do. Well, that's fine. A lot of people find that it works out just great, but for a lot more folks, like your high school sweetheart, um, if you did not end up marrying them, you're going to look back and say like, yeah, I can see how there were some things that were really good and probably a good thing that I didn't settle down and marry that person. Um, same thing applies to most of our professional relationships. Like we can have good aspects of those relationships and there can also be some poor fits. And it doesn't mean that either person is a bad employee or a bad person or not good at what they do. It's just some people will fit better 
with certain people and that's totally fine. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that for you, even in the moment, it sounded like it was, you know, it was an overwhelming experience that you've found a place now where you are, you are autonomous and you are able to make more decisions for yourself and have a schedule that works for you and get the supervision that works for you. I mean, across the span of our careers, like, I don't know that I'll ever necessarily give up supervision because that type of support is just, it's so important. Even if it's not every single week, having those people in your corner, it's great. It can make such a huge difference. Um, and I am curious, you know, as we're getting a little bit close here to kind of wrapping up our time, I just want to hear like, what has it been like for you to kind of come over on the other side of that burnout curve? Cause you said, when we started the interview, like you're kind of, you're coming out of it. So what does it feel like to you now? It, it's amazing. It is a different stress of that. I'm starting a whole new life, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I am starting a whole new life and I've had some very deep things in my life get resolved, having been raised with a parent who hated me. Mm-hmm. And he hated me because I got the attention that he needed in his life from his wife. And so he hated me. And having experience with people with similar personalities to that, that actually didn't hate me and wanted to encourage me to do, to do my best and actually saw potential in me and have me move forward. So... While it's great to have potential, it's also a little scary, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, I'm forcing myself to trust a lot of people that I have in my life right now, because I know intuitively that they're good for me in different areas. You know, like I said, the music thing, it's pretty much, I'm going to follow your directions. That's not my personal life. But then my supervisor who, um, you know, may sometimes say you need to take care of yourself and I may not like it, but I've got to also trust her because she's been in this autonomous thing longer than I have. It doesn't matter that she's been in the field a little bit less than me, but but, Mm -hmm. um, she's got some skills and some things that I know I really need in my life right now. So it is exciting. It is scary because it's like we're what I'm used to, even though it was horrible for me, it's kind of like a client that maybe gets sober. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm getting nearly sober in my life. Like yeah. the drinking was killing me, but it was a comfortable killing. Right. Now, I, now I'm in a situation where it is scary a lot of times. And I just have to use my coping skills, sit through the anxiety and know that it will pass mm-hmm. and that I can face those little things because I am under a lot stress. I, I have a lot clearer thinking about myself and what I need to do Mm -hmm. and make a lot less mistakes. And it's a lot easier for me to see when I'm getting into an area where I'm going to get overwhelmed that I can stop before I get to that point. Yeah. Sometimes it needs, I need other people reminding me of that. I'll be honest with you, but but it, it's a wonderful feeling because it feels like I'm starting a new life. I have a great freedom. Um, there is a lot of the grieving of stuff because going through those situations, I've got a lot of, you know, hurts that have happened to me, but just trusting that it will heal in the time it needs to heal. And it's very exciting. So yeah. I highly recommend getting out of the burnout phase. I would recommend that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I and I, I think that your story is one that just it can highlight how um, how how easy it is for any practitioner to kind of fall into fall into the systems because there is that sort of perception of safety around um, the benefits that are offered and the salary or the healthcare or just the consistency, even if it means giving up some of that autonomy in your schedule and how it's, it's ultimately okay. If you're feeling called to it and feeling like it's what you need to step out of that and trust the supports that you've built around you, trust the people who you have, who are in your corner to help make it work for you, where you can have that scary freedom. You can have the the good anxiety around doing something big for yourself to ultimately benefit you and benefit, benefit the people that you're working for. Um, so one last thing before we go, I usually like to ask this, this of folks, if you were to leave the audience with um, just maybe a thought to chew on uh, something to think about as we, as we round things out, what would you want them to know? Just do what you need to do and don't worry about what other people are thinking because you are worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, short and concise and very, very true. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lydia, for sitting down with me today. Um, I really liked this conversation. I think you had a lot of insight to share with people. Um, and I appreciated your, your honesty and sharing your journey. I think that's important for folks to hear, um, what it can really be like, you know, to work in these systems. Um, so I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Of course. Hey everyone. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And I hope that whoever or wherever you are, you can start having more conversations in your circles of support about better ways to support ourselves and to support each other through burnout. If you like today's show, please make sure to head over to wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, I would love it if you left a rating and a review on there to help get the word out. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, I would absolutely love to have you join the Mental Status Patreon community, which is now officially open. When you join Patreon, you'll get access to a supportive community of like-minded mental health professionals, where I will be offering a ton of high-quality, deeper-dive content related to burnout, with everything from patron-exclusive podcast episodes and monthly webinars, to access to the Mental Status Facebook community, Q&A sessions, and more. To join the Patreon community, head on over to patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod and pick the level of support that fits best for you. Again, that is patreon.com slash mentalstatuspod. Thanks so much, y'all. Until next time, take care of yourselves, and I will see you again soon.